0: All right, here we go one more time. Welcome back, everybody. This is Jay Watts of Merely Human Ministries, and this is the Human Things Podcast. This is the podcast where we answer uh, C.S. Lewis's question, if death finds us, let it find us doing human things. And as we look to answer the question, what are those human things? What are the kind of things that we should be doing? Especially now, again, coming to you from the heart of shelter at home, from the heart of social distancing, we ask that question as we are here, all of us restricted, those of us who have been benched, placed on the bench, told not to leave our houses as much as possible. What does it mean in this world at this time to be found by death doing human things? You know, In 1991, there was a movie that came out called New Jack City. New Jack City was in that, it was sort of a rush at that time of gangster movies. Inner City, drug war, gangster movies. And this particular one starred Wesley Snipes, Mario Van Peebles. It was directed by Mario Van Peebles. One the reason I bring it up is because in that movie, there was a refrain from the gang. One of the things that they said a lot was, am I my brother's keeper? They asked that question. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, why did they ask that question? Of course, because this goes back to Genesis in chapter four, verses one through 18, the story of Cain and Abel. And as Abel gives gifts that God finds honoring and acceptable, and Cain gives gifts to God that God finds less honoring, Cain becomes jealous and Even though God has warned him that he knows he's going to do it, he kills his brother Abel. And in the story, when he comes back and God confronts him with this question, where is your brother? Where is Abel? Cain's response to him, an amazing lack of self-awareness. In that moment where we all remember, not all questions are questions. Not all times, and all the times we're asked questions, is somebody looking for knowledge from us. As a matter of fact, sometimes... A question is a test of your character. I tell that to my kids because sometimes I ask them questions and I make to remind them after I ask the question and I see them looking for the answer. Daddy doesn't need information. He knows everything he needs to know. What I'm trying to find out is something about you right now. And that's the kind of question that was asked at that point. Anytime God asks a question, it's not because he needs information. He doesn't need cain to tell him where abel is he knows exactly where abel is he needs to see the character of cain laid out before him at this moment and so he says where is your brother to which cain responds i don't know am i my brother's keeper and that's why the the gang in new jack city used this To remind themselves of the loyalty within their gang, the answer to the question is, I am my brother's keeper. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. And that's what we all have going into this moment that we're facing right now. And Proverbs, take that moment of Cain saying, am I my brother's keeper? Trying to justify the fact that he has just killed his brother out of jealousy And juxtapose that against Proverbs 17, 7, where we're told a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. What does that mean for a brother to be born for adversity? I remember back when I was in sales and I was just getting going and things would go wrong and I would go into those two friends of mine. That were more senior salesmen that were very good, very accomplished salesmen. And I would go into them when things were going wrong and I needed somebody to give me some guidance. And I would ask them, I would tell them what was going on. And one of the things I learned from both of them, especially at one point when I actually worked under one of them, under the authority of one of them, was that as much as they didn't like adversity in their job, they both saw when things went wrong, when orders weren't coming through. When factories weren't delivering, when there was a problem, far from being stressed about it in the sense that they would hide from it or, or not respond to it or to try to hide it from the customer, they would immediately confront the problem. And they both told me when I would ask them about this, this is where I earned the loyalty from my customer. This moment when everything has gone wrong, when everything looks to be all messed up, this is the point where I earn the money that they're giving me. Anybody can deliver when everything's going great. Anybody can send an an order in any person that they're going to buy from can take care of things when everything's going great. This is the moment where we differentiate ourselves from the others. As a matter of fact, I just heard this recently from another friend of mine who is a financial advisor and who for the, the first couple of weeks of all of this, the financial instability that broke through put tremendous stress on him. And as we were talking over zoom, he said, it's been hard. It's been difficult, but this is exactly why these people want to work with me. Because this is my opportunity to take care of them, to show them that they made a good choice in trusting me to shelter them through times like this. Again, anybody can deliver when everything's going well. The idea that the brother is born for adversity. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. Is meant to show us that this is an opportunity when things are going wrong to be the brother or sister that the people in our lives need right now. And obviously, that's an expansive view of the word brother and sister. Not necessarily literally only our brothers and sisters, but the people in our lives that we look out and to find some way. At this point, to be there for our community. A brother is born for adversity. Adversity is here. in those of us who see ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ to the entire body of believers, or who see ourselves as the image bearers of God, the brothers and sisters of all of his children, we now have a unique opportunity. Remember in the last one I talked about adaptability. If you listened to the first podcast, now we look to adapt our ways of loving, adapt our ways of finding opportunities to be there. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. And I am born for adversity, born at this moment to be there with them. Now, and just like those successful men I mentioned earlier in their jobs, now is the moment where I earn my money, so to speak. Now is the time where I show them what I can be when things are difficult or hard. So that's just a way of looking at this as a spiritual opportunity because it can be, it can be overwhelming. I have talked to people for whom the, the lack of structure of these days or the sense of uselessness can be overwhelming. And so as we look at what's ahead of us and we look at adversity and see that opportunity to remember that we are brothers and sisters of the people out there. And now is our time to show them the quality of our character to show them that this is the time where we get to show what God has done through us, right? The wreck of a human being that God found in Jay Watts when he was younger, that guy would be worthless to you right now, but Years and years and years of God refining my character through my relationship with Jesus Christ has made me something better. I've grown in the likeness of him. And now, in a moment of adversity, it's time for me to show what I was born for. Now, the second part of this, the next thing I want to talk about, building on that idea, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. And your brother was born for adversity for this moment. Is the idea of community. Because community is exactly what, for many of us, it feels like the world is trying to tear away from us. There are so many things that are happening in this world that have nothing to do directly with being infected with the coronavirus and fighting against COVID 19, although that is something that is happening to many people out there. There are other Evils or wrongs or terrible things that are being fought through at this time. For some people, it's just a psychologically crushing time to be isolated and alone. For other people, it has to do with finances and resources and economics and careers. And what we have to remember at this moment about community was we were made for community. Now, one of the things I found interesting early on were a lot of the introvert jokes that were online as if there was no differentiation between introverted and asocial. Now that doesn't mean I don't think that jokes are funny. I'm introverted. I'm extremely introverted. I am very happy. There was an aspect of this where I prayerfully I had to recognize how God had taken care of my family. And I want to pray, not talk to my family. We have to prayerfully look after the needs of the people around us and remember the people that are struggling, but there was also a stupid, selfish joy That came from a capacity to read a massive number of books that have been sitting on my shelves for a long time that I haven't had the ability to read because of the comings and goings, not just in my own life and professionally, but in the lives of my kids and my family and the people around me. And so as those, those communal avenues and those communal opportunities were shut down, suddenly I was given the opportunity to read a whole heck of a lot. And as an introvert, that makes me happy. But just being introverted doesn't mean you're antisocial. It doesn't mean I don't want to be around people. It just means that I function differently. And different I don't love being in the middle of a huge party, but I do like being with a small group of people and having the opportunity to have real deep conversations and to hear what's going on with people's lives. Being an introvert doesn't mean I don't need community. It just means I experience community a little differently than, say, my son, Payton, who's extremely extroverted. Community events feed him. They energize him. Social contact just makes him excited. For me, it's hard. But it's a good hard because I want to invest in the lives of the people that I'm talking to. This introvert who loves to study and can spend hours and hours researching also loves, more than anything, after I have spoken, that time where people line up to have personal conversations with me because the subject matters we've discussed and as a matter of fact, as as I've talked to or presented on the value of human life, those subject matters come alive in personal conversations where it goes from being abstract concepts about the duty and obligation that we have to all human life to treat every single person that we come in contact with every human life with dignity and respect at every stage of development But then the person in front of me personalizes that. They humanize it. They take it out of the abstract and bring it down into a relational discussion where they themselves are either dealing with things as far as conversations with other people that are impacting their relationships or have dealt with these issues in the past. And they want help reconciling themselves to the information that I've given. And I love that. That's relational. That's personal. That's conversational. And despite the fact that I'm an introvert, I'm also a huge hugger, love hugging. And I'm not the only person out there. For some of you people, you'd seem to take pride in the fact that you hate hugging, which has always been a weird thing to me that you're all so proud of. I hate it. Don't hug me. And they seem to glory in that sense of separation, but I'm a huge hugger. So I miss that aspect of it too. Now I don't always look like I want to be hugged, but almost every time if somebody walks up to me, no matter what I look like at the moment, because my face, apparently I have a hostile resting face sometimes. I used to not understand what everybody was saying when they would say, what's the matter with you? I said, I don't know what's matter. matter. Well, there's nothing the matter with you. I'm fine. What are you talking about? I'm just thinking about things. And they would say, well, you look angry. And then one day when my daughter MJ was younger, I think she's maybe like four or five. It wasn't like older or older. It was like four or five years old. She was sitting there looking angry. And I said, MJ, what are you so mad about? She said, I'm not mad about anything. I'm just thinking about stuff. And I pointed to her and looked at my wife and I said, is that what I look like? And my wife said, yep. And I suddenly understood. Why is everybody always asking me if I'm okay? So as an introvert with a hostile resting face, I may not always look like I want somebody to hug me. But man, the friends that have embraced that idea, my hugging friends that will just walk up to me at any time and give me a hug, they get it right? They get that about me. I was made for community. You and I were made for community. It's a purpose that we come, that's part of fulfilling what God made us to do. As Christians, we understand that. In John, the gospel of John chapters 14 and 15, as Christ is heading for the cross, he starts to talk about the last things that we must know to fully understand, to fully grasp the rescue mission of Jesus. And he talks about preparing a place for us and that he'll come back for us so that we can be in relationship with he and the father, that the father loves us as he has loved us and as we have loved him. And we demonstrate our love for him through our obedience. He says that we're not servants, but friends. He tells us to love others as he has loved us and to understand that love through the love that the father has for him. We're told repeatedly to love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, Matthew 19, Matthew chapter 22, Mark 12, Luke 10, Romans 13, Galatians 5, James 2, over and over again, we are told that the whole of commandments and understanding what God's will for you in his life is and what he wants you to do can be understood through loving God and love your neighbor as yourself. In James 1.27, we are told to look after widows and orphans in their distress and remain undefiled by the world. That is religion that God accepts as pure and perfect religion, faith relationship with God. It was never meant to be experienced privately. We we're to work it out in community. And this is just touching, just barely touching on it. I noticed a, a friend of mine online who was talking about as an introvert, he said he could spend, and this is a college professor saying as an introvert, I can spend time studying and and absorbed in my subject matters for hours upon hours. But at the same time, he said, but what I miss in these days is the opportunity to also show off my hospitality. He said, I want to open up my home to people. There's a thing lacking, a fulfillment that's not there. He said, it is a part, it's something important to me relationally as part of a community to be able to have people come into his home and to love on them and pray for them and to talk about deep things, reflecting on the love of God and his work on their lives. We are made for community. We can't even fulfill the great commandments if we're not capable of loving our neighbors as ourselves. And so what we can take from this are two things that I think are very important. The first one is I talked, and I talked about this a little bit on the first podcast that If we are going to agree to distance ourselves from the rest of the world for a time, we must do so driven by a belief that this is the best way to love our neighbor. We cannot be afraid of Corona. That can't be what drives us into isolation. Because if that's what put us here, we are never going to be able to come back out. We are always going to be so afraid that the world can touch us in some destructive way that we will be paralyzed and incapable of rejoining the world. So if we agree to isolation, if we agree to cut ourselves off, if we agree to break ourselves away from that fellowship that God said that we should not break, then we do so because we say the overriding concern right now is that this is the best way at this moment to love our neighbors as ourselves. The fulfillment of the great commandments requires me to put some distance between myself and the people around me. And that this comes at a cost because we want to be in community when we're healthy, socially isolating ourselves being antisocial, those don't contribute to our flourishing. And I see this not just in my extroverted son who has found new ways to keep that community going. And that's what we must do at this point. He took Bible studies that he was responsible for planning and leading and immediately transferred them into the zoom world. And he keeps track of his friends. He plays games with them online. He still does church functions with his church leadership online, but also with my daughter MJ, who is writing letters to her friends, writing, it's a great thing to watch them. They're all writing letters to each other. And this has become a ministry for her, a way for her to be a part of the community. And she recently put on Instagram in her story that she was welcoming people to give give her their address so that she could write them letters. And she thought she might get a couple, right? And one of the things that was interesting was how many people responded to that. Wanting that kind of connection. I bought her a ton of stamps, figuring, okay, here's a bunch of stamps, but you'll never use that much, and we'll have some left over when this whole thing is done. She spent hours writing letters to people today, and she'll spend hours doing it tomorrow because the need for community has been expressed through the outreach of people, and some surprised her. And by the way, this wasn't all just fellow teenagers, there were adults that answered that saying, I want to hear from you. My kids call their family members. We have a rule and let's call them every day. Keep that community up, build the community, right? Even for people for whom you were less involved with when this whole thing started, this is an opportunity for you to honor that we were made to be in community and to show them that that can continue on through this being creative, being inventive, finding ways to continue that we were made. And if we suspend that fellowship, because we understand that distancing ourselves right now is the best way for me to love my neighbor. Then we have to continue during this suspension, the recognition of the importance of that community. But the other thing it does, that's number one, the only legitimate reason to agree to this is because we are convinced at this moment, it's the best way to love our neighbors as ourselves. But here's the second thing this most important that we can take from that idea that we are made for community this can't last forever we can't live like this it must be understood as a short-term project as a matter of fact because community is so important to us as the same time as we strive to keep people as healthy as possible to flatten the curve to give the the world and the the medical system enough time to both deal with this in a more protracted, longer, but smaller number. So they're not overwhelmed, but also to develop ways to treat it more effectively and hopefully work towards vaccination at the same time that that's going on. We have to be striving to restore fellowship because we aren't the same without it. We're not the same economically. That is one thing to talk about, but that's not what I'm talking about necessarily today either. What I'm talking about today is we aren't the same without it. And we can't give it up cheaply and just count it as loss. I'm amazed sometimes when I hear the, the ruminations and reflections of the medical community about the permanent change that this is going to have on us. And to some degree, I understand that because they're looking at it, as we talked about on the last podcast, they're looking at this purely from a system of spreading the coronavirus from one person to another. But we have other things that we must consider. And so if we agree, as we have, to separate, we must, as we fight corona, strive to restore fellowship because we're not the same without it. It can't be cheaply given up. It can't be cheaply lost. It must be fought for in order for us to be what we are made to be operating in a community and you don't just need scripture that'll show that any look at people and what happens with isolation, solitary confinement is bad for us. When you watch a documentary about the American prison system and they put somebody in solitary confinement, it's bad and very quickly goes bad. When I was younger, I used to read stories about people that tried these solitary uh, challenges of crossing the ocean or alone in a boat or, or circumnavigating the globe or flying. And the aloneness was what got them. These were incredibly skilled people that knew how to do the things that they were doing, but their minds didn't work well when they were isolated. If you've ever known somebody that's been isolated too long from society, you know they get strange. My kids were watching a show the other day, and this is not unusual, where they had a person who through tragedy or great loss has isolated themselves from the rest of the community and quickly became known as the town crazy person because they were kind of crazy. You see a literary example. One of my favorite books, one of my favorite authors is Fyodor Dostoevsky. One of my favorite books of his is crime and punishment. And that book largely centers on an intelligent guy who spent too much time alone and reflected on bad philosophy and bad understandings about human relationships and because there was no conflict with other minds to help him to see the flaws in the way that he understood the world. Just a, just a guy who isolated himself and was just clever enough to come up with weird ideas that got him into trouble. Ultimately leading to him believing that he had the right to kill another human being. If he had a glorious enough future that he could establish as a result of that, if he was some sort of special man who is morally justified in destroying other life because his destiny was so great that it was wrong for other human beings to stand in his way. And all of these ideas later on pointed out by another character in the book, they're cultivated by your aloneness. They're cultivated by the lack of ability for somebody to be there. And we look for artificial forms of community in the last week or so that I've been reading about some of the weirder things that are going on in the world. One of those things is people falling in love with chatbots or people, and this isn't just the last couple of weeks, but in the last year or so, starting to express love for sex toys that have been given some AI capacity so they can pretend to be sentient, so they can pretend to have rational capacities. One guy, I was reading an article, and it was clearly bizarre, obviously, but he said I was able to make her exactly what I wanted, and I immediately thought of C.S. Lewis in his great book, A Grief Observed, where he talks about his memories of joy, his wife, after she's died, and the danger of lingering in these images that he has of her, because he says they're not her. They'll never be fully her. Why? Because they will always be agreeable to me. It will always be these great images, these great things, these moments where she was pleasing me in her person or in her in our relationship. And he said, and the real joy could be frustrating. She would come against him. She would fight against him. This gets into the problem of other minds, as philosophers talk about it, that area of that part of another human being that we can never fully know. We never fully understand what's going on inside the mind. Of another human being. And C.S. Lewis said that's what made her joy. It was the part of her that wasn't me. And that is what's been lost. I can fashion a joy. Just as he says I can fashion a God in my head. In both ways I can make them completely and totally agreeable to my desires. To my whims. To my wants. But in both God and joy the greatest part of those relationships is the other aspect of them, the otherness of them, the not me part of them. And that not me part of them is, is best seen in conflict. That's where we bump up against each other. Solitary confinement, cutting ourselves off from the rest of society. It's not what we were made for. And sooner or later, we got to go back there's a great analogy in World War Z, the book, at one point where they have come to live, the book, not the movie, live in some sort of safe departure from from the world now dominated by zombies. Don't you like how I take this into zombie talk, You know, as if that were elevating this conversation? But anyway, it's who I am. So I'm reading this book, World War Z, and you get to this point, and if you don't want any spoilers... I don't know, stick your hands in your fingers and sing to yourself for a second while I talk about this. The President of the United States, after the world has finally found a way to just live, says, now we got to go back and fight. We are going to wage war. Why? Because we have to know we can. Because we can't become a part of this world where we live in fear and hide from it. So as I talk about that need to get back to restore fellowship, I tell my kids as we're working out around the house and are exercising and they're doing all the things that they would do, as I said in the first podcast, to follow the goals that they had going into this, and those goals are sometimes centered on sports, to also remember, and I remember it and my wife remember it, that this whole thing ends with us going back out there and facing a world with coronavirus in it. And we have to get ourselves ready for that reality. Sooner or later, we face it. So let's use this time to get ourselves ready to gather ourselves spiritually, physically. And to recognize that we must strive to restore that fellowship, to restore the order of community that we have temporarily sacrificed because we deem it's the best way to love our neighbor right now. Because we can't live a life in fear. We have to know that we can carry on. And the last part I want to talk about today is family, because I've heard a lot about both families doing great and families doing poorly. I've heard people that feel like they were suddenly trapped in the house with strangers and there was a there was an accustomed time of them getting used to each other. I've heard of kids losing their minds, and then I've also heard of families that maybe there was a moment of awkwardness at the beginning that are just rocking this time with their family. And are seeing this as both a terrible time for society, but also a good time for them to reacquaint themselves with the most important people in their lives. Family is so important. As a part of this being made for community, of not being alone, we have to recognize the strength and power that comes with being together, especially from those people closest to us. One of the things that I have repeatedly told my kids For the most part, and my wife and I, but for the most part, these people have just been unbelievable. So psychologically and spiritually strong through this experience, even though they have lost and lost and lost. So many young people that had so many things that they've been looking forward to for years has just been taken from them. And these aren't small things, meaningless things. In our house, we've had people lose multiple mission trips that they had looked toward, looked forward towards for years. Opportunities at universities to do programs as high schoolers that they had been building towards for years that they have now lost. People who have lost their whole senior season, whatever sport they're playing with. And if you're, not, if you're not active in sports, that may not sound like that big a deal. But for these kids, they have worked for years and years for this moment to finally be seniors and lead their teams and have them straight from it. These kids have lost a lot. And in my own household, they've been almost psychological and spiritual heroes and how they've taken care of this. But all of us feel it sooner or later and how we feel it can manifest itself in anger, sadness, depression, malaise, almost inability to do or want to do anything. And one of the rules that we have in our house that we discuss is every possible emotional response to this is understandable and legitimate. If if this is just the day that it gets all over you, I'm not going to jump all over you and be ugly to you about it. I'm going to look at you and say, this is hard. This is hard. I get it. But the next part about that, every possible emotional response, this is understandable and legitimate. But the second part about that is, That response has to be short-lived. That malaise can be the moment, but it can't be your life. Anger can be the moment, but it can't be how we deal with this going forward. Sadness is understandable, but we can't just wallow in sadness. Feel the moment and then rally ourselves and move on. And that's something that family makes it possible to do. And I always say this because if you don't have family in the house with you, you need to find a way to be that for somebody else to be a part of that community some way or another phone, FaceTime, zoom letters, some way or another to reach out to somebody else to help them. And then maybe they can help you back. Why is this so important? We're stronger together. We're made for community. I get two quick stories. I want to share as a witness to close this off here. One of them came when a friends of ours got married and that first year of their marriage, it was amazing how much went wrong. It was just absolutely amazing. They had relatives getting sick, relatives dying. One of that couple developed a serious medical issue that showed itself in that first year. It seemed one after another to be terrible events happening in their lives all around them, and even, to some degree or another, touching their lives as well. And I remember watching that and, and knowing that these two people were in their first year of marriage so there was a lot of new stuff in there for the first time living together for the first time not living with other people their parents or people in their life that were important to them learning what it meant to be a husband learning what it meant to be a wife and all the things that go with all of those with with that and then all of that other stuff piled on and as we're sitting around talking when I looked at my wife and I said can you imagine can you imagine going through all of that the first year of your married life. And my wife, who I've said multiple times, is by orders of magnitude smarter than me as far as your emotional IQ goes. She looked back at me without missing a beat and she said, can you imagine having to have had gone through that all alone? Can you imagine how hard it would have been had they not been married? Had they not had each other there with them? My question was, can you imagine the stress that that had coming on them at this new time in their life? And my wife immediately saw what a blessing it is that they are united as one at this point and they're there for each other. Because for either one of them to bear this burden alone might have been too much. Years later, years later, years and years later. With three kids in the house, and me making weird professional decisions, and recognizing how hard the road is before us, my wife asked me if there's anything wrong. Let me take you back to the beginning of this podcast. This was not a question where she was wondering if there was anything wrong. This was her testing my willingness to share with her as I ought to as a husband. Because she knew there was something wrong. She just wanted to see if I was ready to talk about it yet. And I told her, can't do this. I'm terrified right now in this moment. Overwhelmed with fear and anxiety about what's going on right now. And she asked why. And I said, because when I was younger and I screwed up, and I screwed up a lot. So when I was younger and I screwed up, it was just me. And I didn't care if I had nothing, if I lost everything, I could start over again. I always knew if I screwed up, so what? Nobody cares what happens to Jay anyway. We'll figure out a way out of this and we'll move on. I had a friend when I was younger who always called me the artful Dodger. In college, he would say, you're like the artful Dodger, man. You just, nothing sticks. You just figure out a way out of it. I said, so this kind of thing when I was younger, Sure, I wanted it to work, but if it failed, it was just me. But now there's you, and now there's the kids, and now there's all this stuff there, and I'm so afraid as I take on this monumental task that I'm going to fail you, that I'm going to fail the family. And she looked at me, and she said, you're seeing this all wrong. Every other time you've had to face something terrible in your life, You've believed yourself to be on your own. It's not you taking this on. It's the five of us. One, two, three, four, five. It is our family facing this together. We got your back. We will be there for you. And all throughout our lives together, this is true. When I am sometimes stressed and overwhelmed with the stuff that I'm studying for work With some of the awful things that are going on in the world, my youngest daughter will walk in the room, pull the computer off my lap, climb into my lap and hug me. Just give me a hug at that point. Grab my face and turn it to her and say, look at me, not that any longer. I can remember multiple times when I was stressed and it was coming out with me being snappy and my daughter, MJ, she didn't fight back with me. She just walks up and gives me a hug because she knows I'm not snappy for any other reason that there's something else bothering me. And that what I need from her right now is a hug. My son riding with me to the store to buy stuff, my wife pulling me out of wherever I am and making me do whatever it was I needed to do at that point to restore myself. And then I get to be that for them as well. So it's most important this time to recognize the strength that family can have if we're watching for each other and looking at each other right now. And recognizing that the human thing that we may be able to do right now is look into the eyes of our kids and say, how are you doing to have my wife look me in the eyes and she sees me drifting and say, Jay, how are you doing with this today to stay connected, to stay checked in, to always look at it as our opportunity to take this thing on together. It's imperative now that we be there for our neighbors, our family, and our friends. And I'd like to end it with, with some really cool stuff that you do see, right? If you've seen these parties where people, have a birthday and their friends go driving down the street in a parade for them. Or I saw teachers doing parades, driving through the neighborhoods of their kids that can't be in school with them right now. You see people finding creative ways to reach out and to, to, to encourage others, lift them up. That's what we have the opportunity to do right in front of us today. That's what this moment has given us. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. Our brother was born for adversity. You were made for community. If we agree to part, then we have to also agree that in order to be what we ought to be, what we must be, what we were designed to be, what we're intended to be, then we must do that together as a part of a community. And we have to strive to restore that fellowship in fullness because we aren't the same without it. And right here, right now, we have an opportunity to see our families grow stronger together to protect our family bonds, to grow those things that were one time were weak, to recognize that it's the people around us that make us stronger. We are stronger together. We can endure more together. Check in on your people, people. Look them in the eyes and make sure that they're doing okay as best that you can. Reach out to them. Just find some way to tell them that you love them. At this point, at this time, the human thing that we can do this week Is remember, we were made for community. We were made for family. We were made for adversity. This moment, this time, we earn our money. Spiritually speaking, we show the world what we can do when everything else has gone wrong. We get to do this. We don't have to do this. We get to do this. This has been Jay Watts from Merely Human Ministries. And thank you for joining us for the Human things podcast until next week. Remember from Olaf, all good things, all good things.